How many of you have uh, ever prayed a dumb prayer? Three of you. You others will learn. Oh, I can't come down. How many have ever stood in a weird place that yelled at you when you went down there? By the way, I'm not a gay purple, purple Teletubby. Just my name is Wendy. Okay. Imagine what it would be like if you were Moses and you felt the presence of God around you and then you prayed this dumb prayer. Show me your face. So in Texas, where we've spent a chunk of time in our lives, where William, my son, uh, was born there, they have a saying, so it's called bless your heart. It's not bless you, it's called bless your heart. It's a nice way of saying what an idiot. He tripped and broke his foot, bless his heart, that thing there. So, and if I was God, I would say to Moses when he asked this question, show me your face, I would say in Texan, bless your heart because he had no idea what their prayer that he just prayed would do. So imagine if you're there, and this is the voice that says to you, nobody can see my face and live. But I'll tell you what I'll do. Make a crack in the rock here, and I'll put you in there. And I will pass by. You will not see my face. You'll just see my afterglow. And Moses is stuck there inside that rock, and he's thinking, I am a flaming idiot. I have just talked to the one who made the universe, and I've asked to see his face. So don't pray dumb prayers. Okay? <laughs> this is my advice to you, because today I'm going to give you a prayer you can pray because it's right through the Bible. And I want to show you a little bit of this. And then I want to show you people in history that have had this happen to them. Uh, I believe in revival, and I think we have a lot of funny ideas about revival. But uh, there is one core thing that I'd ask you. If I was a teacher in a modern school, especially here in New Zealand where some of our kids uh, taught how to drive cars through, you know, through uh, <laughs> and blow up uh, all kinds of interest. And they're like 10 years old because you can't put them in jail or anything naughty like that. So uh, if you're a teacher over a whole school that's actually a gang, how would you introduce yourself to them? Would you say this? So I'm going to ask you this question. How many think you knew the major thing that God asked Israel to do? How many, how, the first thing when he talked to Moses and told them, tell them this, what do you think he said to them? I want you to do this. Anybody want to guess? Doesn't the scripture say how everything comes back to love? It actually does that. So. But that's not what he said to us. He said, the first thing you have to know is to fear me. And that is the missing element in most of the time 
we see today. We do not fear the Lord. You can get up in the morning, you can watch the breakfast show, and nobody fears the Lord. We talk as if he's Santa Claus, if there is one, and he's not Santa Claus. Remember C.S. Lewis's little thing where he said, talking about, yeah, Aslan. He's not a tame lion. So if I was a new teacher, and this is going to be my class, I wouldn't say, hello, my name is Winky. I know it's a, it's a sad name, but what can I say? But uh, I want you to know that I love you all, and I want to share with you some of the things. Do you know what would happen in an average situation like that? After they've beaten the fat out of you, you would be kicked out of that school. So what I would do if I was actually doing that is I would scare the fat out of them. I went to Papatoi High, which was a nice uh, – I came in the second year that it started, so by the time I finished, which was five years later, there were a 1,000 kids there. And one time we had a, 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 a teacher, and he was – very interesting guy. He sort of parted his hair in the middle and he spoke very gently and nicely and stuff. And then one time he had to go and do something. So he told us all just to be quiet and then he'd come back. But he was a, a teacher who understood a great deal about the English language because he also studied Shakespeare and he did all these other things. So we were just talking at our normal thing when teachers are gone at very high volume. You know, stuff like that. And, and you see the, the doors of the classroom were closed, but they did have this sort of, you know, they have that, like that glass over the front so you can see if somebody's coming in when you fling the door open, you don't knock their teeth out. That, that's that. So we were all there just talking, right, the normal thing. And then I heard this thump, 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 thump. And he burst in through the door didn't smash it. He just burst into the room and he s spoke loudly to us. Shut up! Like that. And my hair stood straight on end. And then for the next three minutes, he ripped us into pieces without swearing once. And we sat there in total terror, thinking, if this guy sneezes, we're dead. We all listened and we never screwed around with him again. What do you think will happen if the fear of the Lord would come back to New Zealand? So I want to show you my sons here. Can you flick a few of these for me, son? I, can. I just want to show you first how much the Bible says this. So you want to start it? This is what I think is missing in the church. I'd love to see it happen again. But um, you don't have to put it like that. But um, I put there this fundamental thing, the very first thing that God said to Israel is, you, go, you must fear me. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we usually think it's sort of, it's not actually fear. It's actually more like awesome reverence to God. And that is true. It is awesome reverence. But you don't know what awesome is yet, and you have no idea what reverence looks like. 
until you are stuck like Moses were. And that crack of the rock is the one who made the universe with words, passes right in front of you. And you're there with your eyes closed and say, I will never break that prayer again. Every revival has three elements to it. And the very first one is the fear of the Lord. You will never see a revival until the fear of the Lord returns. And that is not just awesome reverence. It's the, ah, it's that kind of thing. And you may sit there secretly, yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of cool. Christians have nice things. But when he actually shows up, and by the way, it is not the br most brilliant thing to pray for revival. I've had all kinds of pastors and people say, um, we're praying for revival and we've prayed for like 15 years and we're kind of ticked now because it doesn't seem like it's coming. And so I'm not going to pray that kind of prayer anymore. Uh, the reason why they haven't seen anything yet is because they're praying for something they shouldn't pray for. And a lot of times we think, especially if we read and study, I'll show you a few of these things a little bit later. This is, of course, the 100th anniversary of the, one of the few people who came here to New Zealand. We got very close to a nationwide revival. We've had some wonderful people. Billy Graham was here in the early days. We also had two people sent by the Salvation Army, William Booth and Catherine Booth, sent two kids. And they said them, to them, all the way from England, that's a long way here, and they met in Wellington, and this is what they said to each other. You take the north, I'll take the south, I'll see you in a year. And a year later, they came back with 30,000 people who had been converted and joined the Salvation Army. Now, how in the fact did that happen? I don't think it was like, hello, with the Salvation Army. You don't know who we are, but we're going to share with you a few thoughts. The fear of the Lord is real. And see, the scripture scene, you can see this. I'll, I'll let William just run you through a few of them there about what he actually says about himself. And this statement of the fear of the Lord goes through, and it is primary. It is the number one thing. It is the reason why people begin to realize this isn't a game. This isn't some stupid thing that religious people get into when they're kids and they'll get over it when they grow up. When you see the fear of the Lord, the real thing, everybody freaks out. The most deeply spiritual people in the world, when Smith Wigglesworth came here, he had actually missed a boat. He was supposed to come. The person who was waiting there for him went on back to the mission field and finally arrived late. But there was one guy that was supposed to take care of him. And in one of these times, Smith was going to have a little prayer meeting. So some of the major pastors of his time uh, were with him. And the other guy who was waiting out for a while, he was going to come in a little bit later, he saw these godly, godly pastors open the door and some of them ran right out. <laughs> what happened with him? And one of them said, don't go in there. He's praying. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, you'll know. And he ran away too. So he said, oh, I don't care. I, I'm, the, I'm the guardian. I'm going to be watching over him there. 
And uh, the guy said, you won't be able to stay. And so what he did, he said, I'm, there's a table there. I'm going to hold on to that table. And whatever happens, I'm not going to move. And this myth, just praying, and the sense of the presence of God suddenly appeared. And the, one by one, the most godly pastors ran out terrified. And then he's still there holding on to his table. And then he said, I can't take it either. And they all ran out. You imagine a person just talking in a town hall and suddenly the, the walls change and it looks like bronze or brass and the sense of the presence of God just comes. You don't have to do any cool things. You don't have to have any special music or anything. He just shows up, and that's the beginning of it all. So what I would like to show you is two or three times the same thing that happened. Smith Wigglesworth, by the way, interesting man. People got healed in his meetings, but he wasn't actually preaching about revival. He was preaching about a holy life. He was preaching about what it means to give everything you have to God. And when the people got saved, he required that they get, go to doctors who knew what was wrong with them before and, and lawyers to actually uh, show it was not just an idea. It actually happened that their lives had been totally transformed and the thing that he, they said had happened had actually happened. You could not be written up in a newspaper unless it was actually true and lawyer uh, authenticated. So I've seen this thing. I've seen it looked like an ordinary day. But then the prayer was not that we would have a revival just like the other ones that we've read about. Because God never does the same thing twice. So I'm looking at you, and you could be a, have a, my grandmother on my mother's side was an identical twin. And when they say identical twin, she looked just like the other. I didn't know that there were two grandmas. I was only a little kid. I came in talking to my granny. And then I went outside, climbed over a little stile in the, in the farm that we're in, and there was my granny in a totally different dress. And it was like being in Star Trek with a... <laughs> I, I kept looking. I thought, how did she get out there so fast? She must have swung on something. And, and how's she got a different dress? She, I could not, I didn't realize that she was so identical that they used to swap boyfriends and nobody knew. <laughs> so that word that is used to describe the church today, we think a major idea of that idea of the church is fellowship, which is true. It, it, God puts together people that love each other and love him. And it's a very cool thing. And so a church should look like that. But that's not the primary meaning of the word for church. The primary meaning is marketplace, which means this. The church exists to minister to the marketplace. To what is out there is pagan. He wants the church to stay in the world. And we want to get out of it. And God wants you to stay in it. So I've had 
people say to me, why, you know, it's getting worse. Weather's all crazy and people are doing wrong things and people are killing each other and it's happening right the world. We know that God could stop all of that. So why didn't he just do it? When I first got saved, Papatoy Hospital, for the last three months, I, I realized that people get saved, they need to get baptized. So I thought, well, I could put them, you know, you're supposed to dump them in, underwater. I know it's very vis versions. You could be sprinkled or something. But I thought, some of these kids that say they're saved, I can check on them later, you know, a couple of weeks, months later, and they're sort of, oh, no, I used to be a Christian, and now I've, you know, I've gone away from that. I'm into something else. Yeah. I thought, how do you stop these people from screwing up? And I thought, maybe I should just hold them under twice and only bring them out once, and then they would go straight to heaven and never backslide at all. But then I found out that was not actually biblical, and so I couldn't do that thing. Besides, it was illegal. And so but there's got to be some other way to make sure that what happens to a person keeps them. And I know what it is now. You see, the reason why God doesn't step in, and he can. Do you know that he can do it like this? He could take all of the bad guys and just... I don't think he has to vaporize them. But in one single day, Troy was taken. That word that's used for the word for uh, world is the word cosmos. And the first time that ever occurs in Greek is in the fall of Troy and the, and the bringing in of that scary thing that everybody from Troy who had never been conquered, there was this funny-looking huge deal, and I thought, oh, it's their God, and the God failed them because they're all left now. It's called a horse, a Trojan horse. So they laughing because it seemed the Greeks had all got on their ships and left. Two movies made out of that, and they saw this big, beautiful thing there. I thought, let's get their God who couldn't help them. We're going to take it inside our city. We'll put it right in the middle where everybody can laugh at what we did to the Greeks. So at about 2 or 3 in the morning, actually a couple of their prophetic kind of people went through a spear at this wooden horse and it stuck into it and he heard this. And it echoed it, but he thought, that thing's hollow. And then he said, there's something different about this. And they said, oh, don't worry, it's just, it's beautiful, isn't it? And somewhere around the two or three in the morning, when everybody was asleep, the bottom dropped out of that horse. And their Navy SEALs, in Greek, first didn't run out because everybody's asleep. They simply opened up all the gates, and in one single night, Troy died. And Revelation 18 is the description of God. Just This is just before the second coming of Jesus. And in one single day, Babylon dies. So people ask me, why, why doesn't he do that now? Because God waits. You know why he waits? It's because there are people still in Babylon that used to say they loved him and they forgot him. They're not atheists. They're not you know, people who rejected God. 
They just had other things to do. And like that test of the angels, each one in a different church, God says, you screwed up in this one, you screwed up in that one. Comes back to Ephesus and he says, you've done wonderfully. Only one problem. You've forgotten your first love. I gave to you this morning the fact that the church in New Zealand desperately has to see the fear of the Lord return. With that, it will not happen. We can pray. We can ask all these different things. We, you know, if you pray just that revival will be the returning of what God is. The reason why it's a dumb prayer is because it's like praying for that God would reveal to us uh, what happens if you jump off a 40-story building and you think, well, maybe we could fly because you've read some or watched some Peter Pan movies or something. Or perhaps you've got Spider-Man going, and you can flick with it. That's what we think. God doesn't ever do the same thing twice. But the scary thing about this thing about the world, why doesn't he just step in and do it? Because he wants those who should be on his side to come back beside him. Because when he takes out the thing, it all goes. Just like that. It is weird when you look at Revelation, that last chapter 18, the very beginning of it describes how beautiful the world is. And that word for cosmos, the word that means world in Greek, takes two words. Number one, it is the word for beauty. So let's tell the truth. The world is gorgeous. It's smart. It's swift. It's beautiful. It's got everything going for it. And when you just read it, there's two weird things to look at it. When The first thing it has is it talks about its sailors. Why does this thing mean so much? Remember the Greeks came across to Troy on the ocean? Here's the simple fact. If you don't have a navy, you'll never take the world. How are you going to get all your soldiers there? How are you going to get your tanks there? That is why Russia at the moment is trying to take areas right around the ocean. Because without a navy, you can't win the world. So here it is. And then smack right near the end of it, this little phrase comes up, the trafficking of human soul. Babylon is beautiful, but it is also horrifying. And you're not there when people are prostituted, when trafficking, by the way, is the number one way of making money now, not just drugs. Drugs is huge. That's what the word pharmakia means. It is pharmaceuticals, and it simply means drugs. And the second meaning of pharmakia is poisons. And right now, our nation and most nations around the world are experiencing Romans, that that last section, Revelation. Revelation 18, because it takes those two, those two primary meanings of what, uh, what that word means has two other meanings. And every Bible, including the ones that we have here, King James and others, from the very first time the English Bible was put, do not use those first two words. They use these two words, sorcery 
and witchcraft. You know why that is? Because everybody knows what a sorcerer is. They are scary people. They belong to an alien, evil thing, and they will kill you. And the last one is witchcraft because it's a woman this time, and she'll do exactly the same thing. Remember the evil queen in, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? And the real person came when she made her drugs that could poison you? That's, that's what that phrase means. So all of those years, two, almost two uh, millennium, we have not translated that. Right now, the word drugs and poisons is the most significant and absolute description of what the world is like now. So here's my question. Can you get out of it? Can you leave it? No. You know why? It's because God so loved the world. What does that mean? Doesn't it say, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, which means you're not going to make it at all if you love the world? How are those two things together? You have to ask this question, why does God love the world? Because it's his world. He made it, and he hurts because of what has happened to it. So why doesn't he just take the world and kill it? Because it's not just here. He made it. He said we could go, let's go find a let's go find a place somewhere where the world is nice. There is no such place on earth. Let's go to Mars then. We'll start a new church. Mars is part of the world. It's cosmic. And here's the other scary thing. Jesus is talking to his father. This is called God talking to God, and it's in John 17. Jesus is talking to his father, and this is his prayer. I pray not that you will take them out of the world, but that you'll keep them from the evil. You're not going to get by one of Jesus' prayers because his prayers are always answered because they're always cool. You will not be able to stop the world. So why in the world, in the world would God not step in? He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for those of you who've got on the outside edge and still haven't crossed the line. When that world goes, and it will go in a single day, you don't want to be on that side at all. C.S. Lewis talked about what happens when the author walks on stage, the play is over. That's not a day for saying, oh, I believe in that. Oh, I. I believe in it. Too late. They said that in Noah's time when poor guy had to go and build this big boat when nobody had ever seen anything like storms before. And then he said, God is going to bring a huge rain. It's going to destroy most of the earth. And they go, oh. Till the animals started coming and he hadn't brought them. He just had a place they could come. They started coming from all over, and they filled the place. And it wasn't Noah that did it. And then the door closed, and it wasn't Noah who closed it. And then for the first time, all of heaven changed, and the world died. Now, of those that everybody had laughed at, they're still 
alive. That is true today. You and I are in one of the weirdest times in all human history. By the way, that last verse in, in that Revelation 18, your merchants, that's the people who buy and sell, ones with money, were the great men of the earth. Those are the ones with power and control. Or by your pharmacia, drugs and poisons, were the nations of the world deceived. I'm going to ask you a question. What is happening to the nations of the world right now? And I'm talking to you. We have a Trojan horse right in our midst, and you will die if we don't break that down. We can't do it. The weird thing about the Greek language is this. For almost 2,000 years, there was no way to do this. They just said, in it, it's beautiful. Or against it, it's horrible. Make a choice, good or bad. But not this one. In, against, and for. How do you get from there to that last one? We can't do it. Only one person can. And his name is Jesus. So I pass this to you. I could give you a whole list of what happened. Can we pick one of these? Well, what have we got? Um, just the, the list. Yeah, I know. Sorry about it. My son is an amazing person because he has no idea what I'm doing, and neither does Don and neither do I. But anyway, kind of fun. So can you just go a little bit forward to where there are two or three? Yes, yeah, just those. Uh, no, we could do all of those. Yeah, yeah, go back a little bit further. Yeah, go to Mariah. So I just wanted to show you when this happened. The same thing has happened again and again and again and again. I just, um, if we are going to look at those things, we're not trying to see that same thing happen in the same way. We're like people then who are looking to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I can tell you, I'm a scientist, there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Only leprechauns know where that gold is, and you're not a leprechaun. I can tell you that too. But if you say this is what you're praying for, we want to find that pot of gold. We're not after the pot of gold. We're not even after the rainbow. We're after the one who made the rainbow. These things are here. I'm going to leave a whole bunch with Don, so anything that you might find you'd like to look more on, I can just simply tell you the astonishing things that happen. When the fear of the Lord returns, the next thing that happens is that people realize, I am screwed. Now you realize what it is supposed to be, and then you come to this point, I, there's no way. There's no way he can ever forgive me. I am screwed. I'm going to die. And the amazing thing about God is that's not the end of a revival. First, the fear of the Lord. Secondly, the conviction that comes. I've seen people crying, screaming sometimes. <laughs> like this for three days. Why is that? You didn't get that from the coolness of what they were, they realized, I am screwed. My life is, 
There's no way he can forgive me. Nobody can forgive me. Nobody can change me. And for that reason, Greek language had a third one now. In, against, and for. I want you to be for the world, not to sell out to it, but to come to the one who loves that world and he wants it back. That world is New Zealand, and that's us. God bless you guys. Outstanding, wasn't it? Boy, I was sure you, you gave us two points. Number one, the fear of the Lord. Number two, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Was there a third? I just want to hear a little bit about the joy before we finish, okay? Well, I think you, you're just going to come back for a second. How many want to hear a little bit about the joy? Because I am believing. Here's what I believe, all right? A guy by the name of Ezekiel, a prophet, thousands of years before Christ, he turned up at a valley full of dry bones. And uh, the Lord said to him, prophesy over the dry bones. We are great at explaining where we are in history. We're great at talking about the state of our nation or the state of the church. And uh, let me tell you right now too, right there, the church is in real good shape. Hello? It's got a lot of broken people in it, like me, but the church is in real good shape. You get a touch of the Holy Spirit on broken people, revival comes. If Ezekiel went to a valley full of dry bones and he called then called life out, he didn't explain what it looked like. God said, prophesy. I want to prophesy over you this morning, and I want to prophesy. Get ready for what God's about to do. Come and tell us about the joy. Is that okay? Do you, can you jump, jump up here? Jump might be the wrong word, but is it okay? I, yeah, just, I just want to hear that last point about the joy of the Lord because I think we need some strength and we need some joy. Yeah, we do. Um, I made yeah, a decision. sort him out. Okay, this is my um, Imagine if you were the one who was picked up by God and carried over that thing and you look down and God says, can these bones live? You have this question, like, what is the right answer to this? What, what if I say no? And he goes, unbeliever, and I'm gone. Eh? And what if I say the other one? Well, yes, idiot. I know what he said. I want to give you this to save you from being dropped. Because he's looking down thinking, how did those bones get here? Was it being dropped from this height that far down? Uh, and this is what he said. Remember this one. Oh, Lord, you know, that is a very cool answer to give to God when he asks you a question you really can't answer. Oh, Lord, you know. He, he knows. Mm -hmm. The thing I found, um, I died in 2007 around Easter time. Lord brought me back, and I asked him, uh, what do you do that isn't religious? Because most of the people I talk to are not religious. Many of them have no interest in church or anything like that. 
but they are hungry and they wish that something would happen in their lives that could give them what they really most want to do. That's the people I work with. High school, college, Kate. It's, I'm not a good pastor. I want to apologize for not being a good pastor. I'm just a scientist that got saved. So, yeah, and so the reason I'm not a good pastor is because I'm never there. I'm always gone someplace and doing something else. So I admire pastors. They're wonderful. But I asked the Lord, what, what do you do that isn't religious? And then he showed me 40 things that have absolutely no connection with religious things at all, including the one that was the first time he ever made something without talking to it, talking to the water that he invented, talking to the dirt that he invented. You think that's a fairy story, but you're not a chemist. And then he plants a garden. Why didn't you just talk it? So like E.T., he's the gardener. He plants it. First job, not religious at all. I'm asking God all those things. And you know the one that shocked me most? It's, um, it's two in the morning. Faye's asleep. William was, I think, asleep. He was somewhere. He said that he was doing something, but it was cool. And I'm just talking to the Lord, not aloud. And he said this. I'm smiling. What else do you do that isn't religious? He said, I am an entertainer. I was so flat shocked at what he said. Because you know what we do with entertainers? If they can't join the worship team or if they haven't won in footy or a netball, we can bring them in there just to give a testimony. We don't want them to screw our young people up by doing happy things. He said, I am an entertainer. And I said out loud, because all this is not, I'm talk, he's talking to me and he knows what I'm thinking. I know what he's saying. I said out loud, no way. And he said it like this. I am, pause, an entertainer. You never screw with I am, okay? If he says that, I am, you just listen to him and you go, oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> So I talk to my systems. I'm a scientist, and I can talk to my systems and tell them, do this. I said, look, see if there's anything in this. I thought there might be maybe 10 pages in that. A few seconds later, because it's fast, 36 pages later, which makes it the fourth largest study in the Bible. I'll show you, those of you here, I'll show you afterwards. Man, God, man, salvation. Three biggest topic. Fourth one, entertainer. And the reason is this, because I'm going to ask you college kids, why do you think God made man? And they all have various ideas. We are the entertainment of God. He gifts us, not all religious gifts. He gifts us. And then he wants to watch to see what you're going to do with what he's given to you. And he doesn't even mind if you don't know it's him. You just know, don't know where it came from because it wasn't your parents that gave you this. 
and you can't get it from your high school because they're not even teaching on that. So you think the church doesn't know anything about this. So you're going to give up going to church because you got saved 14 times and nobody's ever talked about the thing you most like and you'd most want to do. And what you don't know is the gifting that you have in your life was given to you by God. And when that happens to you, and you see for the first time, this is incredible. You will know this, that that funny little book there that none of you have read very much, it's called the Bible, and you better have a bigger one than this little one that you're supposed to have, you know, a little New Testament that has maybe Proverbs or something in it, and you can wear it here so when the bullet comes, it'll be stopped. They're going to use flaming bullets. Get a, get a big Bible. Get two of them, one in the front and one in the back for when you're running away from the dude who's got the guns. You wait till you see him. You'll see the end of time. It even mentions this. By the way, those 40 gifts, I thought it was going to be maybe 10 pages, 880 pages just for those 40. There may be 400. I don't know. You just gave me 40. Wait till you see yours in there. Wait till you realize I have not known what this could be if it's much bigger than me and I don't even know. So my question, challenge to you is this. It is time you stop dismaying God with what he gave you. It is time you really begin to learn to fear the Lord and come to him and say, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know what you really like. And I'm so glad you still care about me. And I'm so glad you can still love me. So I'll do anything you want. And anything you, you ask, I happily do. I haven't got time today to tell you the thing that I asked the Lord Last year, I said, why do you love the church so much? No, you've got all these other gifts that aren't religious gifts. Why do you love the church so much? I know now. I'm not going to tell you because we haven't got time. So <laughs> maybe one day the new millennialism. <laughs> Wait till you see this. But simply that, okay. Um, and here's Dr. <laughs> we'll call him Dr. <laughs> Dr. Don. <laughs> because he has a special anointing in days like this. If you have never given your life to God, do not wait until the, the, the door closes in front of you. Get saved fast and then wait what happens after you got over sobbing your guts out, what happens when you really realize he loves me and he's going to take what he put in my life and you're going to make marvelous things out of this life because that's the way it happens, and that's the way it is. And any time you look at any time in history, you'll see the people that God picked out were simply that people said anything. I'll do anything you want. I want to be like your son, and he gave his life for me to make. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.